Thanks, Bree. Well, good evening. Welcome to Uni Church. I'm Rowan, and I love winter. I don't know about you, but how, how great is winter? You get fire, you get warmth, you get to kind of look at this great section. And we're not in winter yet, I know it's coming soon, but uh, we get to look at this part of the Bible, which is called Galatians. Um, I, I love Galatians. I didn't think that was funny. Oh, this is great. Uh, I love Galatians. Galatians is a really um, instrumental book for me. I remember I was probably about 16, 17. Uh, we had an agricultural kind of, um, uh, they call it a show, like an ag show. I think you, I know, it's the equivalent of like a small version of the Easter show. And um, our church had this thing there and we were talking to people and I met this group of people that had this tent and they were saying that they were Christians, but they said that you needed to be baptized to be a Christian and do these other things to be a Christian. And it kind of didn't make sense to me. I was struggling with it, trying to think through it. And uh, someone from our church, an older guy, said to me, you need to read Galatians. So I went home that night, read the book of Galatians, and wow, I kind of got the gospel afresh again. So I'm excited as we start this series to open up the book of Galatians with us all. So why don't we pray that God would help us to see what he has to say to us in this book. Let's pray. Lord, as we come together tonight, we come from all sorts of different places, all sorts of different things going on in our life. We're so thankful that you have spoken to us in your word. As Bree just read your word to us, we ask that you would see that word now as we unpack it and think through it, and by the work of your spirit, unfold in our lives. Comfort us tonight with your word, we ask. Challenge us and show us where we've, we've wandered, and by your spirit, grasp us and send us out into your world, understanding and having heard you this evening. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. One of the greatest fears of the human race, I think, is the fear of failure. Like, who likes failing? Anyone? Is is there anyone here that kind of like, I love it when everyone says you suck? I don't know. No. Everyone's like, no. Like, we hate failing. We hate um, stuffing things up, falling short of what we could have done or what we should have done. Uh, For some of us, the fear of failure is so large that it almost defines us. We work hard to do things right, to have life lined up. And we don't want to make mistakes because we don't want to fail. We're afraid that people will see us in a different light or that we'll let others down. And so we kind of become known as the dependable one. And we take pride in the dependable one and our dependable nature because really we're afraid of failure. For others of us who are still afraid of failure, we just fill our lives with so much that we give ourselves permission to fail. So you try and do lots of things and, and you leave things to the last minute and then finally when you're at the last minute, you're like, well, I can only do this amount of effort, so that's all the time I had and you put the time in and that's okay, which is why you've got no outline in your outlines today because I left that later and I missed that boat. So if you want to divide your page into four sections, uh, the first point is uh, the gospel. Uh, the second point, halfway down, um, then is the problem. The third point then uh, which will be at the top of the right-hand side, is uh, three reasons. So the gospel, the problem, three reasons. I'll do it for you. The gospel, the problem, three reasons. And then the last quarter, we'll look at um, four observations. So hopefully, that will help you as we go through tonight's talk. But what do you do when you do fail? How do you cope? Because let's face it, everyone's going to fail. Where do we turn when we failed that exam for the second, third, or fourth time? What do you do when you, you let your friend down, when you betray a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse with forgetfulness or maybe unfaithfulness? 
Where do we go when we've been insensitive and thoughtless or or just plain sinful? Or what about when we fail God? How do you respond when you feel you're drifting away from the faith or you've begun to deny some of the things you used to once hold core? Or maybe how do you respond when you've been challenged from someone on something you believe or some way that you've acted? Typically when we fail whether it's ourselves or others or God, our natural reaction is to hide it, to cover it over, or maybe hide from it, to to retreat, to pull back. No one likes to be shown they're wrong. And in our culture and society that we live in, no one likes to point out that someone else is wrong either. Have you noticed that? It's just not right. We feel like it's kind of hypocritical to say to someone, oh, you did something wrong. Who am I to say that? I mean, I do other things wrong. And there's there's a sense where we want to be cautious about that. But partly, I think that fear of pointing things out is also driven by a fear of offending people, where offense becomes society's biggest sin. I saw a Harvard Business Review article uh, this week. Actually, no, it was Time magazine. Uh, And they released this, this woman who'd done some research saying, we need to help people be okay with offending others. We're saying what we believe. Offense is okay. That was one of her her lines. But as a culture, we pulled back from that because we, we don't want to hurt others. We don't want to say something that others might not agree with because, well, we're afraid of what they'll think of us after we hurt them or what they'll think of us for what we believe. As we begin and get into this book of Galatians, we're going to see Paul get hot under the collar, angry even, at the failures of these churches in Galatia and the people who've caused it. Have a listen to what he's going to say. I'll read some of the lines. You can imagine the way he said it. Galatians 1.6, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, 3.1, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? That's not happy language. He's not like, hey guys, great to see you who cast a spell on you today. He... That's not what he's doing here. 4.11, I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Ouch. <laughs> You've been a waste of my life, perhaps, Galatians. 5.4, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. These are strong words that Paul says in this letter about the failures of this church and the people that caused it. But like a father who sees his child playing hopscotch on a motorway, Paul acts and he acts fast. That There's no commendation at the start of this letter. There's no thanksgiving like all the other letters. Where I thank God for you and the way he's worked among you and all these things that happens. Basically, he starts straight in with getting into the nitty gritty of telling them how to get off the road, how to get the right way. But he doesn't just kind of go in and roast them. Have a look at the way this big-hearted apostle leads these wayward converts. He, he doesn't kind of get frustrated at them and, and start posting on Facebook, other than it didn't exist. But, you know, he's not kind of whinging to everyone else. Have you seen how horrible these Galatians are? He doesn't write 140 characters or less and complain about it. He doesn't kind of haul them over the coals and, uh, coals and bring them into his office and kind of get them busted and in trouble. He doesn't cut them out or freeze them off, which I think is what we might do. Oh, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Look, that's their choice. They've decided to go a different way. Look, no, I'm just going to remove myself. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't go and find a new bunch of friends and say, oh, well, let's try and get some more. Instead, the apostle who gave these Christians birth into the Christian faith 
takes them back to where it all started, grace, the gift of God in Jesus. In the middle of the letter's opening paragraph, right at the start, Paul says these easily missed but vitally precious words. Look at 1 verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying to these Galatian Christians that they've stuffed up big time. They've walked away from the very one who has saved them, Jesus. But there's still hope. Come back to what you began, Galatian church. Come back to the grace of the gospel. And there you'll find just what you need. You'll find everything you need in this news, this gift of the gospel. You'll find the only thing you need. This series in the book of Galatians is a great chance for all of us to marvel at the gospel, at the grace of God, the undeserved gift He has given us. To marvel at that, maybe for the first time. To see what Paul is talking about, what Jesus has done, its simplicity, its incredible love that God has shown for us. It's a great chance to, to marvel. But it's also a chance for those of us who might be wandering away, or might have wandered away from the news that once shone so brightly in our lives, but has now lost its shine. Is, is that you? Perhaps you found that living the Christian life isn't what you first expected. You might be feeling a bit of buyer's remorse, you know, where you go, you buy that new thing, you get it home, you set it up, and you go, I didn't need a TV that was 80 inches. What did I buy that for? Maybe that's you with a Christian faith. What have I done? Why, why have I kind of cut off some of these friendships? Why, have I, why am, I, am I spending money giving? This isn't what I thought it would be. And perhaps for you, you want something stronger or something more powerful or a new way to know God, a deeper way to know God. Or, or perhaps for you, as you come to this book of Galatians, you're just tired of the Christian life. You're tired of the battle. You're tired of trying to put Jesus first. You're tired of hearing the same old story about Jesus and his death for you. The gospel has lost its shine for you. But that gospel is the story that Paul begins with. And for Paul, it's not old. For Paul, it hasn't lost its shine. And Paul wants to brighten, to show clearly the brightness of this news of Jesus. And we'll see for you and me that this story, the same old story that we've heard for 2,000 years, has got incredible relevance for us. Galatians 3 verse 1. Actually, Galatians 1 verse 3. Thanks for keeping me. Grace to you, And peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts this letter with the gift of God, with the gospel, with the news of what Jesus has done And highlighting that for this church that might have forgotten its brightness. They might have forgotten they needed rescuing. A few years ago, um, my wife Sarah was getting a few headaches. And they were getting fairly sharp headaches. And they'd been going on for a while, maybe 18 months on and off. And she'd been to the doctor and got it checked out. And like, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. We tried a couple of things. It wasn't all the time. So it wasn't one of those things that you keep going back and back for. And finally, it was still there. And it was kind of quite painful. And so... And the doctor said, look, maybe you should go and get a CAT scan to check there's nothing wrong in your head. Now, whenever a doctor says that, it's scary, right? Because like, they're going to scan your head. But one of the things that I find scary is like, why do they call it a CAT scan? Like, are they looking for a cat? That's scary. There's a cat in my head and you want to do a scan of that? Like, I... You don't find that as funny as me. I find that... 
If you've got a cat in your head, you've got big problems going on. That's all I... You might be a cat person. Yeah, it's not good. I'm aware that it doesn't mean cats. What this scan showed as we went along, I remember Sarah coming out, I remember the doctor coming, saying, actually, we've found a tumour at the base of Sarah's brain. Now, the tumour is three and a half centimetres by three and a half centimetres. It's touching the optic nerve on the top and will kind of push up if it keeps growing and blind her. And the two sides are touching the two arteries that feed the main blood supply to the brain. That was a moment that we realised we needed rescuing. I don't have many neurosurgeon skills. Neither does Sarah. We can't kind of go, oh yeah, that's something I could fix. We're in a situation that we were totally helpless. We needed to be rescued from. And Paul's message that he brought the Galatian church at first, and the message that he brings you and I today, and the message of Jesus is this, you and I need rescuing. We're in a situation where we can't remove ourselves from the problem we're in. We've turned our backs on God. We haven't treated God as we ought, and we deserve God's justice and judgment. We've said to God, I don't want you in my life. I don't want to treat you as God. And God has every right to say, okay. We need rescuing because we are evil. And the world we are in is evil. Left to our own devices, that's the way we keep going. We keep living our way and not God's way. We keep rejecting God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Falling short of God's good design for us. And willfully rejecting God's leadership. Saying, you are not God to me. Friends, we have got ourselves in a situation where we need rescuing. In roughly AD 47, Paul travelled through modern-day Turkey and he told the Galatians the good news of the person of Jesus who came and died for them, who came as their rescuer to take away their sin, to face the punishment that they deserve. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, Paul says, to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The gospel, the news that Paul brings and brought to this church in Galatia and to us here is that Jesus died and rose again to rescue you and me, to pay the debt we deserved. Jesus did it all. Like the neurosurgeon that operated on Sarah, we we did nothing. They went in and removed that tumor and she's fine, thank God. But he did everything. We did nothing. And that is the news of the gospel. And that is what Paul is about. I think so often we hear that news and we forget how astonishing it is. The creator of the universe who spoke and the stars came into space, who who created you and me and who sustains the universe, became human and died for you and me. He took the penalty that we deserve to rescue people who didn't deserve it because of nothing we had done so that we could be called his children and so that we could live forever. That's amazing. Where do you see any other king or leader lay down their life in such a way that Jesus does for us? We forget how amazing it is that he rescued it and it's got nothing to do with us as well. See, everything that we have in life, we work for. You've got to work for your degree. You've got to work to get into your job. You've got to work at relationships. You've got to work at, at, um, at a business if you're trying to build that. You've got to work at your health. Everything we do is, is work, work, work. It's an endless cycle of performance and effort and labor and work that we need to pour into life. And even with all that work and effort and labor and performance, so few of us actually get where we want to be. Have you found that? Yet God turned up and said, here is a free gift of your rescue. There's absolutely nothing you need to do or can do. I have died in your place. 
taken your sins and allowed you to call Jesus your brother and God your father. This is so different from everything else. So different from the way we think. It's undeserved. And we need to stop for a moment and marvel. There is no other religion like this. The other religions of the world say it's about what you do. You've got to earn your way to God. Islam says you've got to balance your good deeds with your bad deeds and hope that on the end, God will, Allah will allow you in because you've done more good than bad. Buddhism says you need to follow the eightfold pathway to righteousness and find nirvana where nothing can impact you because nothing exists. All these other faiths add to what you need to do, but Jesus turns up and says, I'm God and I've done it for you. Let that sink in for a moment. This is amazing news. Jesus has rescued us. That's what the Galatians first thought when they heard this. When Paul came through, they were amazed. God the Son died in our place and they trusted Him and they served Him and they were on fire for God. But now something's happened. There's a problem. Point number two. There's a problem that's made Paul furious. Verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul comes and he's like, God the Son died for you and you think there's something better than that? How often is that the way that we live? How often is that the way that we focus our thoughts and attention? We know God died for us. We trust Jesus is the true and living God, but we live for so many other things other than Him. In AD 303, the theologian Marus Victorinus, Victorinus, there we go, I said it. 303 summarized the Galatian problem in this way. This is what he says, there's a quote on the screen. The Galatians are going astray because they are adding Judaism to the gospel of faith in Christ. Disturbed by these tendencies, Paul writes this letter in order that they may preserve faith in Christ alone. 303 AD that was written. Some people think that the idea of Christ alone only came you know, with the Reformation in the 15th century, 16th century. But no, you've got it here in 303 and no, you've got it here in the letter of Galatians, which is probably Paul's earliest letter. These religious traditionalists, probably from Jerusalem, were trying to teach the Galatians who'd just become Christians a new gospel, a better gospel, something that was kind of what Paul said, but just getting it a little clearer and getting back to their roots. These men had followed Paul's footsteps all over Asia Minor. They're often called the Judaizers because they're trying to make people more Jewish. They wanted to require the Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs, the Gentile Christians. You become a Christian, but you need to do what the Jews used to say you needed to do as well before you can become a Christian. You need to be circumcised. You need to go through all the rituals that are there. In short, the gospel that they were speaking, the news they were speaking was, Jesus is God's son, he died for you, and now you need to live according to the law of Moses. It was Christ plus the law of Moses. The specific issue that they wanted people to do was to be circumcised as that sign of being a Jew. You can read about their theology of the Judaizers in Acts 15. Write it down, check it out later. But you'll see that, that Paul says, or Luke says, <laughs> that some men, possibly the very men who caused this trouble in Galatia, went down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching, and I quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Acts 15 verse 1. Not surprisingly, this teaching was super popular among the believers who used to be Pharisees. 
These guys used to be experts in the law and they'd become Christians. And they're now like, well, I trust Jesus, but man, I want to keep doing this thing that I've done. This is like my old habits. This is what I want to keep, keep doing. I've been doing this to get right with God and I want to keep doing it to get right with God. The church has always been full of recovering Pharisees who want to add human effort to God's grace. We've always been full of it. The temptation for us to think that we can... But we need to do something to make the gospel effective. It's so strong. I don't know how many times I've sat across a table or across a room with people who are thinking about becoming a Christian and them saying, saying, you know, are you saying that it's nothing that I do? That's totally what Jesus has done for me that sees me say it? I'm like, yes. And they're like, no, I, I can't. That doesn't fit. <laughs> Maybe that was you. Maybe that is you. The news is that you can't do anything. It's been done for you. You needed rescuing. And Jesus has done it when he died in your place. He's the only perfect human. He's the only one that could. And so Paul talks through this issue of the Judaizers. Now, as we read it, the temptation for us here is to think that these slight differences in what people think don't matter that much. You know, they're doing a bit of legalism. They're adding a bit of the Ten Commandments, you know. So if you want to keep the Ten Commandments, that's a good thing. Maybe we should think about the way the law relates to the New Testament and going deeper in two weeks. Shameless plug. But the temptation for us is to say, look, this doesn't really matter that much, does it? Why is Paul getting so kind of annoyed about it? I mean, doesn't Paul himself say, Philippians 1, that the only thing that matters is people preaching Christ Jesus? Their motives, whether false or true, don't matter. That's what he says. Their motives don't matter as long as they're preaching Christ Jesus. And we can look around at what different people are saying across the world and say, well, they're still preaching Jesus. But look at Paul's response. And I want us to feel the weight of this. But if even we, in verse 8, if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. The original word there is anathema. It's used throughout all of church history to talk about people who are heretics and should be cast out. Paul is literally saying, if, if anyone is telling you a different message from the one that I brought, I want them dead and in hell. That's what he's saying. There's a sense where you hear that, and my gut is, it makes you cringe. That's a bit strong. Like, Paul, what are you, you know, did you have a bad day? And you kind of wake up and you're just a bit angry. You know, your bed, you got a splinter in it. Because I don't know. Why is Paul just getting so strong here? Well, the reason we kind of arc up against it is because this goes totally against our multicultural, multi-faith society's view. Where all views are okay. The idea of tolerance has taken um, you know, the human race a long time to get to in our world. The, the true idea of tolerance, tolerance, what it actually means, is the ability to say, I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. I disagree with what you say, but I will defend your right to say it. That's what tolerance is. It allows people to be able to say what they want to say, and you should be able to say it, but you're also able to disagree with it. The problem, is here, the problem is we've taken that idea of tolerance and we've gone beyond that to think that tolerance means there's no right or wrong. Uh, that, that there's, there's your right and there's my right. And they could be different, but that, that's okay. They're both, they're both true. If anyone says anything negative about the other person, well, that's intolerant. You're, you're not tolerating their view. You're not saying their view's okay. 
the irony is not lost that the person who's claiming tolerance is intolerating our tolerance. But anyway, <laughs> friends, it's only going to get harder and harder in our society to speak the truth of the gospel. Do get ready for that, to speak the truth, even if it offends. So why then is Paul so precious about the message he left with the Galatians? Well, he gives us three reasons this message matters. Three reasons, point number three. Number one of this point, there's three points in this. Paul's words are Jesus' words. Paul's words are Jesus' words. The Galatians, like us, fall into the trap of separating Paul's words from Jesus' word. They're what I call red-letter Bible Christians. You've got a Bible, or you've seen those Bibles where Jesus' words are in red. And the reason you do that is to help you work out what Jesus said and what others said, as if there's some difference. But Paul is saying, there's no difference. The word of Paul is the word of Jesus. How do we, how do we know that? Well, Paul goes to great lengths to explain it. Um, look at this. Paul was sent from the Father and the Son, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Apostle just means sent one. Paul is saying, I have been sent not from any man or from humankind at all. I have been sent by God the Son and God the Father. The message that I bring, the gospel that I bring, is not my own accord, is not my own word, is not my own take. It is God's take. I am speaking God's words to you. This gospel is God's gospel to you. You cannot separate Paul's words from Jesus' words. Oh, you can distinguish them. You can see which ones Paul said and which ones Jesus said, but they're both from Jesus. Please hear that clearly. Paul's words are Jesus' words. And the second part of that is that Paul's gospel is the only gospel. Look at verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's gospel is the gospel of Jesus. That is the only gospel, the only news, the only thing that will save you is the one news that Jesus has given that Paul speaks. Now the other apostles speak that lines up with what they say, but here with what Paul says. It's news about Jesus, yes, but it's news from Jesus. There is no other gospel. There is no other way to be cleared right with God. We sung at the start of tonight, there is no other name in heaven or earth other than the name of Jesus with which we may be saved. Because the gospel, the news of Jesus, is the only way we may be saved. What we are looking at in our Bibles here in Galatians is not merely human words. They are human words, but they're more than that. The Bible is God speaking to us, whether it's from Paul or Peter, whether it's those that wrote down the apostles' kind of first eyewitness. Matthew 28, we've already heard it tonight. Jesus commands the apostles to go and make disciples of all nations. They are the ones who are given this news to take out to the world and empowered by the Spirit. That's what they do. The early church fathers said in the creed, we believe in one holy, universal and apostolic church. They use the word Catholic, which means universal. Uh, the, the church of the apostles, the news of what the apostles said. And Paul says, and goes to great lengths in this letter to show that he didn't get this message from man. It came directly from a revelation from Jesus to him. Oh, it was tested and came up and, and went to the other apostles. And they were like, yeah, we agree. But Paul is saying, this comes from God. The Bible is God to us. Please hear that. Do not distinguish between Paul and Jesus. 
It is God speaking to us. Sometimes as Christians, we, we take the high road and kind of look down our noses at people who want to carefully work out exactly what a passage says or means. You might have been in those conversations where someone's like, ah, oh, you know, stop being so pedantic. Stop being all theological on me. You know, we, we just love God and love the world. That's what Jesus says. And that's the type of Christian I am. I'm not going to fight about the ins and outs of what this passage here is saying. You know, just take a theological chill pill. Just settle back. You know, don't be so worried about it. Stop being so pedantic. Have you heard that? Have you felt that? Yeah. But if this is God's word, how dare we take it lightly or loosely? If Jesus were to turn up tonight and just say, okay, this is what I need you to hear, we wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Just checking Facebook. You know, I'm checking the news. You'd be like, man, I'm listening to every word you were saying, yet we have Jesus' word for us here in the Scriptures. We must take it seriously. The way he has preserved it is through the, the basic grammar of human language. We've got to work at what it's saying to understand it well. We, we need to understand that. Oh, sure, sometimes we do get a bit pedantic and fight about things that are, are peripheral. But Paul here is saying this ain't peripheral. This is core and you can see how fired up he gets about it when it comes to the Bible. The words of Paul are the words of Jesus. Sometimes we lessen their importance when we think they're not from God. We think maybe Paul's got it wrong, or maybe we've got a better view today. The only unloving thing that we end up doing is not giving people the truth. When we pull back from what the Bible says, we must work at what the Bible says. We must spend time working out the Word of God. The first thing Paul brings up is that his words are Jesus' words. The second thing that he brings up, the second reason he's so hot and fiery about these issues, is that he longs to see God get the glory. Paul longs to see God get the glory. That's what's important to understand here. His words, the gospel that Paul speaks, ensures that the, the glory goes where it belongs, that the gospel is a rescue work, not a combined work. These people have turned up in the Galatian church and they've been there saying, oh, you know, you've got to do some stuff. And then and Jesus has done it all, pretty much. He's done 99%. And then you just add these extra things that you've got to do. And the moment you do that, you need to give glory to God for saving you and a little bit of glory to me because I've done some stuff on the side. And aren't I good? You know, I've turned up to church, I went to Connect Group. Man, I sat there and listened to that guy talk at uni church for so long that night. I'm like, shut up. And you know, I've got there's got to be something that gives me some glory here. Paul wants to ensure that the glory goes where it belongs, so he holds out what the gospel is. It's a rescue work. When people turn up and add to the message, whether they be Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Christians who claim you need to do something in order to be saved, you shift the glory of God to the glory of God and me. And that empties the word Jesus gave Paul of its power. It places the effort on, back on, on us and what we need to do. It makes it a gospel of what I have done rather than what Jesus did. It's no longer a rescue work. It's no longer something can save us because we cannot do enough. Paul's angry because he wants to ensure God gets the glory, not us. And the third thing that makes Paul angry is that changing the gospel, changing the words he's given these people means people go to hell. Changing the words of the gospel means people go to hell. Look at verse 8 again. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. 
So he said before, I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. We shift the message of Jesus for all kinds of reasons. To make it more palatable to the world around us, more attractive. We pull back on the idea of sin and God's judgment and that God is clear on human sexuality and issues around abortion and all sorts of different areas that cross over our world. We pull back on those issues and we we like to highlight the ones that are similar. You know, God is a just, He's a God of justice, He's a God of love. We're all about love. We make the gospel palatable and we remove the reality that we need rescuing. The gospel becomes something that, oh, you know, it helps me work out how to be a better person. Come to Jesus and it will make your life better. Come to Jesus and and he'll spur you on to be able to serve well and live life well. And that is no gospel at all. At the heart of every shift in the gospel lies a desire to please people and not God. Every time we want to change it, we're trying to please people and not God. Either someone else, because we're afraid of their response or we want them to come in and so we shape it to be more palatable or more palatable to ourselves, to line up with some way we think God should be. You know, if I were God, I would have done this this way and I think it's, I don't want to look at God that way. God is love and so I'm going to shape what he says to change the gospel to be a bit more in line with what I think is right. Be very clear here. What Paul is saying is pleasing people leads yourself and others to hell. Pleasing people leads yourself and others to hell because you compromise on the only thing that can save. You change it so it's ineffective. You move people's focus from Jesus who rescues to the work that we do. In verse 10, Paul says, Am I striving to please people? For if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't serve Jesus and please people. Please get that in our brains. So tempted to please people and worry about what they think of us. God says, worry about me. Worry about my word and the gospel that I have spoken. Paul says, worry about God. And worry about the people that are going to hear this changed gospel, that will look attractive, that they'll be you know, uh, attracted by and then will not save them. I'm not saying that you can't love people. No, we're called to love people and care for them, absolutely. But the way we do that is to speak the truth in love. To compromise the truth is not to love people, but to sell them something that won't satisfy. It's to lie. There are a few things that we all need to hear clearly today. A few observations, and that's point four. As we come to this passage in Galatians, as we understand what Paul is saying, that kind of hit home for us. Number one is this. All of us have failed. No one in this room has lived rightly before God or even ourselves. We need rescuing. Please hear that. You've come along tonight checking out this Jesus. Please hear what he has done. He has died in your place. He has offered to take the penalty for you. Come to him and trust him. There is nothing you can do to add to what he has done. His grace, his gift of death in our place is the only solution. If you add to that message, if you subtract from it, if you alter it in any way, you have no hope at all. But our hope is running to the one who has rescued us and trusting him. We've all failed. Run to the God who saved you and trust him. Number two, 
we must hear with vital clarity the importance of the words of Scripture. The words as originally given are the powerful and sufficient Word of God. They're the words that we should use to test everything against. If you were to go home tonight and you were to go to sleep and in your sleep you had some dream where God told you something would happen tomorrow and it did happen, you'd be like, whoa, this is spooky. And then, and then in this dream the next night, God said, okay, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And you start going, wow, God's speaking to me in dreams. And then you kind of get up one day and an angel is there, this kind of glorious light shining in your bedroom. The light's lit up. If you've got a roommate, they're like freaked out. But you're there being like, this is amazing. And then they speak and they tell you this news and you're like, man, this is so good. I'm, I'm hearing God directly. Paul says, that angel is a messenger from Satan. Reject it. Test everything against what Paul first taught. Paul even says that if I speak to you a message that is different from what I first told you, reject me. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You've already got all you need and all of God's revelation to you. My words are Jesus' words. My gospel is Jesus' gospel. You've heard it. There is no more to be had. But how often we go running after new information. We seek a new prophecy, a new idea. We want God to take us on a new journey when God's saying, there is no more. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus has given you everything. What else do you want? You need nothing else. Do not add to the gospel of Jesus. Paul is very clear. Do not add to the news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that he has come to rescue us, that is all his work. Do not subtract from that. Do not malign that. Do not change or twist that. For if you do, Paul says, of you, you should go to hell because you are leading people away from Christ. Paul could not be any stronger, could he? He is desperately, passionately loving his people and us by saying, hold to what I've said. It's not okay to change the gospel. It's not okay to pull back from the word of God. It's not okay to say we've got a new revelation or a new word. No, it will always line up with what Paul first taught. Please hear that. Please hear that. If I should come up some week or Lachlan or one of the other pastors here and we say something that doesn't line up with the word of God, you don't listen to us. You say we, we, we submit to the word of God. You help us to get back in line with the word of God and chat through it or have the idea that maybe you know, one of us has got it wrong and we work through that. But the word of God is our authority in this church. We sit under the Word of God. Please hear that. That is what we sit under. That should make us care about the way we handle the Word of God. That should prompt us to pray for Bible colleges across this country and across the world. To teach the Word of God well to pastors and leaders so they'll handle God's Word well. It should prompt us to be praying for other churches that they'll work through books of the Bible and sit under God's Word, not sit over it, not malign it, not say things that aren't true. It should prompt us to pray for people who think that there is another revelation from God other than what Paul said, contrary to what Paul said. It should prompt us to love them and hold out the gospel of grace. We're not called to be anathema police, run around and say, you're a heretic, and say that to people. But we are called to lovingly hold out. I don't think this is right. But my hunch is we don't get angry enough. We don't get angry enough. We've believed Satan's lie that doctrinal difference doesn't matter. And so the things that we get angry about in life aren't the things that matter. They're the little things. They're the things of the person who cut in front of me in the traffic. 
It's the fact that I'm, I'm late for this thing or that someone said something that offended me and I get angry about that. But hey, someone stands up and says, look, if you come to Jesus, your life will be better. You'll have a blessed life. All, the, all, all of heaven's promises can come to you now. And we're like, oh, they're just a little bit wrong. Paul says, die and go to hell to that teacher. For you are teaching a gospel that is not the truth. The third thing we see is not everyone who preaches Christ is preaching Christ. That's the point I just made. Some people say they're preaching Jesus. They're pointing people to Jesus. But the Jesus they're pointing people to is not the Jesus of history. He's not the Jesus of his own gospel, of Paul's gospel. You hear people say that Christian unity is important. We should all act together and we should all be united because Jesus wants a united church. But here's the thing. It's not just standing together and being in agreement on stuff that unites us. It's being united in the gospel of Christ, in the true gospel. True Christian unity is unity in the Jesus who died and rose again for us and trusting His Word as His Word says. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Now, that is not positive. He's not saying, this is great. Well done, Corinthian church. Christian unity all the way. There is another Jesus that people are preaching who is not true, historical, God-given Jesus. They're Jesus of people's imaginations and minds. There is another spirit that people are saying, come to this spirit who will empower you and change you, who is not the Holy Spirit, who does not say what he has said through Scripture and change and, and, and mold people in that way. There is a different gospel. We have to recognize that, to be sharp, to let the Scriptures shape and mold us. That's why for us as a church, the statement that's been on the top of every outline since the day we started is that we are captivated by the historical Jesus. It doesn't mean that he's a Jesus who died long ago, although he did die. It's a Jesus who died and rose again. It's the real Jesus of history. The Jesus that we find out about through the scriptures that Paul preaches. That is the Jesus we follow. That is the Jesus we're captivated by. In Acts 15, after this letter to the Galatian church was probably written... All the apostles gathered together and they stopped sharing the gospel for, for a big group meeting. There was something so important for these apostles at that moment for them to stop going out sharing the gospel with the rest of the world as Jesus had commanded them to, to get sorted. Do you know what it was? To get their theology right. They had a meeting to come together and make sure that they, they weren't saying anything that wasn't true. They got together to get their theology right. If we do not have our theology right, if we're preaching another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit, we will win crowds of people to hell. The last thing that we need to see, observation for us, is just because you have great passion doesn't mean you are saved. Just because you have great passion doesn't mean you are saved. Paul looks at his own example. He was a zealous Jew, right? But he was wrong. He was the Jew of Jews. He was above them all. He was so good at his Judaism, but he was wrong. He was persecuting Christians. He was jealous, zealous and wrong. These Judaizers that have come in, they're zealous for Jesus. They're following in Paul's footsteps everywhere. They're going, great, Paul's going ahead, bringing people to Jesus. We come behind, convert them back to Jesus plus Judaism. This is sweet. We're there. We're with him. But it's a different Jesus. They're passionate and zealous, but they're speaking a different gospel. But so often we stand back and go, look at their passion. They're so eager to be on mission, 
to share the love of the gospel, to speak of Jesus' love in the world, but they're pointing people to a different Jesus. Have a look with me at Romans 10. Romans 10 verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation, speaking of the Jews. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Don't fall into the trap that sincere believers in God with zeal and passion are true believers in God. It's the gospel that unites us. It's the news of who Jesus is and what He has done. There's such a big push today that we shouldn't raise doctrinal disputes. We should all just get on and hold hands and sing Kumbaya together. Do you know where that idea is coming from? Satan. He's saying, don't talk about your differences. Don't say things that might offend another. Don't say, well, actually, I think I've got a different view. Just just be quiet on that. Just let it go through. Just be love. Get together. And we kind of get into this moment of all fog and and numbness and relaxation and, and, and a dazed holding hands, singing great songs to this guy called Jesus And we slip away in a fog to hell. Friends, it is the truth that sets us free. And the way Satan gets us to stop thinking about the truth is to get people speaking about a different Jesus with zeal and passion. And we buy it because they're saying the right name and are doing it in a passionate way. There's so many people saying seemingly good things in our world, even about Jesus, but they are wrong. They add a different focus to the gospel. Jesus died so we could see how much God loves us. Well, that's partly true. He died so that, so that we could be stirred to live a life for Him. Jesus didn't die to stir us on to live a life for Him. He died to rescue us. He died to pay the price for us. Oh, it seems a small shift, but I tell you what, suddenly I'm now working for my salvation to be spurred on and, and, and to be right with God rather than trusting in what Jesus did. Friends, the gospel matters because hell and heaven are at stake for you and for those you share it with. So Paul, to the Galatian church, is just getting warmed up. And he's saying to them, it is the gospel of God's grace that matters. It is through Christ alone you can be saved. For He's the only one that rescues. It's through faith in Him alone that you can be saved. It's to God's glory alone. Not to to be shared with yourself and and God. It's through the Scriptures alone (laughs) that we know what God has said to us. And it's by His grace, it is a gift God has given us through nothing that we have done. Salvation is found nowhere else. Please hear that today. If you've wandered from the bright and shining news of the gospel of grace, come back to Jesus tonight. Stop turning to things that will not satisfy and will see you separated from God for eternity. For Jesus is our only hope for rescue. Come back to Him. If you've been flirting with new ideas and seeking new revelation from God, stop tonight and repent. Test everything that you you were thinking and, and working through against what Paul first taught, against the gospel that we had. Come back to the gospel that we have in Jesus and the other apostles have preserved for us. Test everything against Scripture. For it is the Word of God to us. We need nothing else. God does not speak in any other way to make any new revelation. And if you are trusting in Jesus tonight, have confidence in the Word of God. God, the creator of the universe, is speaking to us. Speak that gospel lovingly, carefully to the world around us. Hold on to that free gift 
that we don't have to work for, that's been done and enjoy with great joy and passion and excitement being saved because of what Jesus has done for us. The true and living God died for you. He's paid the price for us so that we can live forever with Him. Trust Him and live for Him, not in order to be saved, but because you have been saved. What a joy it is to know Jesus' word, that we who've turned our backs on God could be rescued and be called His children. Oh, the gospel of grace is sweet. Trust it and turn nowhere else. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've revealed yourself to us through Jesus. We're thankful for your word spoken through Paul, that we have access to who Jesus is and what he's done and how we ought to respond. We confess that so often we we think we know better than you. We don't treat you the right way. We, we, We want to live ways that are contrary to your word and your will. Please forgive us. Please help us to come back to the gospel that is spoken and to trust it, to see its brilliance and light. By your Spirit, Lord, captivate our hearts with the true and living Jesus, that we might live for him all our days, that we might speak boldly and reject these false ideas and speak the truth to the world around us who desperately needs to hear it. Father God, let us rest in the free gift of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and so enjoy that reality that we don't need to work for it, that we live for you out of great joy and response to who you are and what you've done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as our pattern is, we're going to ask some questions. Hopefully, you've been able to text them in. Sorry I didn't let you know earlier, but there should have been a big thing up there. A few questions that have come through. Number one, if Paul's words are Jesus' words because he was sent from God, how does that differ from the uh, the Quran and Muhammad's claim to be sent from God? Yep. Uh, So, you're getting in the Quran and Muhammad's claim that they're both sent from God. And that's exactly right. And we're going to unpack that question a little later. Um, Next week, as we hear Paul go and and share what he said with the other apostles, those that were sent out from Jesus. Because what you're seeing there is is a confirmation from those that were with Jesus and lived in his time that they were sent out. Matthew 28, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And they agree with Paul that he's seen this and it lines up with what they said. Muhammad wrote 700 years after Jesus. Uh, And so Paul has said quite clearly here, if anything disagrees with what I've said, and the apostles who were there with him agree, then you throw it out. So at that point, you you throw out that claim. Just because they're claiming God spoke through them, Paul says, if even an angel turns up, even if I turn up and say something different, throw it out. It is only what I said at that point about Jesus. Next question. A bit unrelated to today's message, but relevant to someone close to me. I'm right in thinking, am I right in thinking that clairvoyants and mediums, if not complete frauds, are drawing from the power of their enemy, or at least just be, sorry, or at least just be avoided to walk with Christ? And if they offer to connect you with loved ones who have passed away, does the Bible have anything to say about those who have passed and whether they're conscious spirits in some way or the souls of those who've died and at rest until judgment day? Thank you. Um, a few things to think through here, and as we talk through a different kind of worldview, there is a link. Um, the spiritual world is real. Um, God has won a victory, not just over the flesh and blood, Paul tells us in Colossians, but over the rulers and the powers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And so at that point, there's a reality that there is more going on that we see and hear, that Satan is, is at work. Uh, Jesus says, well, John says about Jesus that if anyone is not for him in 1 John, they are children of Satan. 
and they are doing His work. So there's a reality here that we understand that either someone is preaching Christ and a Christian and serving the true and living God in Jesus, or they're serving Satan. They're satanic. And, and that could be kind of a whole heap of spiritual type of things that aren't just normal, uh, the, the normal natural phenomenon. I've got a friend that I went to Bible college with, um, and uh, basically he uh, was a removalist and wanted a bit of extra money on the side. So he thought he'd start going into clairvoyancy just, just for kicks, right? He's just, this is, this is not, he was not a Christian, just to let you know. All right, so he's like, great, I'm here, I'm remo- doing removalist stuff, but I might just open up this kind of thing and invite people around and I'll do some card stuff. And, you know, he's just like, is it just, it's just, he literally said, look, I just thought it was a bunch of junk. That's what he said to me. And uh, anyway, so he's there this time and these two people come along uh, and um, they said, look, we've, we've had this vision of our, of our, of our mother uh, who's died and we're kind of guilty about some stuff. And so he goes, look, I've got this picture of her in my mind that she's lying there and she's got this thing in her, in her right hand. And, and the two people just went white. And he's like, I don't know what I'd said. I was making it up. I'm like, what's going on? And they said, well, she expressly asked in her will that she be buried with this pendant in the left hand. It was some family tradition. But they put it in the right as an act of defiance and they were feeling guilty about it. And at that moment, he went, oh, I just need to take a break. He goes, I went outside and changed my undies. He's like, that's what happened. He's like, it freaked me out. And he said, that is the day that I stopped doing that because I worked out the spiritual world is real. Satan is doing stuff and, and working in us. And I was being used by Satan at that point to bring stuff about. And so he went, oh, man. And he ran away and, and talked and then read a Bible. He read a Gideon's Bible, uh, became a Christian. At that point, he's like, this is amazing. I, I, this is the true and living God. Trusted Jesus. Yeah, it's exciting. Except that he went and joined a friend's church, which is called um, Church of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, and then got involved in that and then left that, uh, working out that that was a cult. And then went along to another church and finally, after a number of years, ended up going, no, I want to teach people the, the truth of the gospel. I've got to know this word better. The spiritual world, yeah, <laughs> right? The spiritual world is real. Don't mess with it. Uh, don't think, oh, it's just naturalism about what we just we see. There's stuff going on under the surface all the time. Everything has got things behind it. Do we go looking for Satan's work under every rock? No. We trust Jesus. We speak of him. Jesus has already won the victory. But don't mess around with that stuff. What we should do is say to people, no, come to the true and living God. For anything else will lead you to eternal destruction. Next question. I want to preach more of the gospel to my family, but I'm also completely terrified of getting the gospel wrong and misrepresenting Christ. How will I know I'm ready? Great question. Uh, you could get to them and say, look, I, I trust Jesus is the only way to God, and I trust that His message is true. And you know what that message is? Come with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. Just read it. You need to just open up that bit there that Paul has said and say, here is the gospel, the news, that we have been rescued by Jesus from this present evil age by his death in our place. You can just open the scriptures with people and say, this is what I believe. Come and come to the scriptures. Don't just take what I say for granted. Come and meet the Jesus who meets us in the pages of his word has been preserved for us. Uh, walk through with him and say, look, maybe we could catch up and read through Mark's gospel. Uh, and we could read what Mark has got to say. Or, or John, we've just done some of John. So I'd love to kind of show you this historical document about the life of Jesus and you to hear from Jesus' lips who he is and come bring them back to doing that. How do you know you're ready? Well, trust God. Pray and ask God to help you to speak the truth. You know why you're a Christian. And don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Let me get back to you next week. That's a great question. And come and ask, ask, ask someone in your connect group, chat about it. Just be real and honest. And trust that God is God and He works through His Word. It's so funny, you know, I, I've just started doing um, some exercise in the morning. 
I joined this boot camp program thing because I'm like, I've got to do some fitness thing. So basically, I've worked it out so I can just put my clothes out the night before. My alarm goes up. All I've got to do is put the clothes on and drive to the boot camp, and then someone yells at me to do everything I've got to do. So it just forces me to do it. And before I know it, it's over, right? And so um, <laughs> it's at 6 a.m., so it's still dark outside. And, and so I'm there this week, and I'm, I'm getting to know the people and I'm like, you know, I haven't had any opportunities. I've talked about that I'm a pastor with a few people. Um, and I was looking at the moon. I'm just like standing there going, oh, we're doing the stretches at the end. And I thought, I haven't even prayed that God would give me an opportunity uh, to share the gospel. So I'm like, Lord, please just, I don't know, I'm, I'm tired, but please give me an opportunity to speak of you. At that exact moment, the instructor goes, so Rowan, what do you do? And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> trust God. He doesn't always promise to work that way that quickly. But I shared the hope I have in Jesus. I shared the, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church and I love helping people to know him. Now, that's not everything, but trust God. He's good. He works. Number four, uh, can you speak of the role of social media and sharing God's word in light of Israel Folau? Yeah, I can. I would love to chat about this. Um, I think Israel Folau, or God through Israel Folau, changed an election in Australia. That's what some of the non-Christian commentators are saying, if you've read the reports. Uh, that Australia got freaked out about the freedom of speech and saw what the, the potential uh, Prime Minister who would be coming in thought on that issue and went, no, we want to stand in a conservative position of this. Um, I think uh, God used Israel for that, but I wouldn't necessarily say that the way he spoke of that was the best way to do it. Um, now, it's not the only thing he said. I think he's been taken out of context. There's, there's lots more going on there, but you want to be clear about what is heard when you're speaking the truth. Uh, you want to be clear about what people are hearing. And I never pull back from it. I love the fact that he, that he didn't, that he, that he held to what he believed. And there's lots of people that are backing him going, no, he should do that, even people that are non-Christians. But think about the way that what you say comes across. And so social media sometimes, it's just not the best place to have arguments because you're, you're hiding behind a computer. You know, you do things because you, you, there's something different when you're not looking at someone face to face. There's just something about it. I, I was at a conference recently and I was Skyped into this conference a room full of senior pastors of larger churches across Australia and New Zealand. Um, and uh, basically, a question came up, and I, I kind of had a question for the speaker, so I asked this question. And I just realized I was quite abrupt in the way I said something. I just said something little, it was a little throwaway line. There's no way in the world I would have said it if I was standing there face with those people. Because I was on the other side of my computer screen, it didn't kind of feel real. I wrote the guy I spoke to in that thing an apology, and he was, he was very gracious, it was all fine. I was just a small, a small word. But I just, it struck me. When we're behind a computer, we think we can get away with stuff. Uh, and so be careful what you do on social media. Bring up stuff, put things out there, but then chat with the person in person. Be like, hey, let's catch up and have a coffee. God made us to relate together. Do that. <laughs> be careful. All right, last question. Um, how do we deal with differences in doctrine? Brilliant question. The first thing I say is, and you can't answer me at this point, but how do you think we do that? See, the way that we need to understand differences in what we believe is we sit underneath the Bible. Uh, Paul tells us in, in Timothy that God's Word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfectly complete in every good work, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The first thing we need to do when we're dealing with differences with people is love them. Actually, not just be in it to win the argument, especially guys, talking to you, it's what we do. We love winning. And so we'll just have the argument for the sake of winning, just because we can and we want to. I don't know. I don't know if that's a problem that ladies, women have as much. Definitely it's an issue that we have. You want to love people by going, it's important to know what God says on this. And so you come back to the Scriptures and work them out. See how central they are. See what the Bible says as you, as you hold that together. 
to sharpen one another, to let God's word, as Hebrew says, work like a two-edged sword, dividing soul and marrow and joints, and just to be able to cut us and show us where we need to change. But also work out that there are some things within the scriptures that, that are gray, that aren't clear. Um, one of the clear ones is, is, is baptism. There's a great argument for infant baptism. I'm happy to stand behind that. There's a great argument for um, believer's baptism. And you can go both ways. So at that point, I don't think we ought to divide over an issue that you can defend biblically in that sense. But other areas are quite clear. And what you've got to do is not just look at it and say, is this a central issue or a peripheral issue? Because sometimes peripheral issues affect the center. And we're going to see this as Paul goes through the issue of circumcision. And he can say to Timothy and Titus, you know, circumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. There's nothing about circumcision before God. Right? So, there's nothing. But here, when, the, when, the, when these Judaizers say, you must be circumcised in order to be saved, he goes off, he's not. He's like, this is a gospel issue. They're going to hell because they're saying that. Why? Because the peripheral issue that didn't mean anything when you made it uh, mandatory affected the center, changed the shape of the gospel in the middle. So what we're always looking to do as we, as we think through the way we understand the scriptures and doctrine is to see how this thing that we, we're holding affects what is clear. Does it change the shape of the gospel of what we have in any way? Because we don't want to go there. So you've got to keep asking that question and go round and round and think through how we do that. But we do it in love, trying to hear what the other person has to say. One of my favorite questions as we're dealing with doctrinal differences is to ask the other person, what do you see that I don't see? What do you see in this situation that you think I'm missing? Take me and show me that. It's it's having that opinion of going, maybe you can see something in Scripture that I can't, and having that humility to sit underneath it. The other question you can ask is, what are you trying to protect by holding on to this? How do we deal with doctrinal differences? Um, We love and sitting under the Scriptures. And then we pray. So let's do that. Father, as we sit under your Word together, we ask that you would keep sharpening us by your scriptures. You keep using one another, the gifts you've given us here at church to sharpen one another in love. Help us not to be arrogant, to be people that go around thinking that we've got it all sorted, but to come back and hear your word on things, to sit underneath that and to to love people by holding out the truth. Give us confidence to speak the truth humbly and in love and send us out into your world to proclaim the hope of Jesus, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.